Welcome to the Propreneur Podcast, where we help practice owners become better entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dino Watt. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed that break. Hope you enjoyed that information from uh, Michael. That was uh, a lot of information. I think there are a lot of great nuggets in there. And uh, what I want you to do is really focus on how you can take this one or two of those nuggets and implement those and actually use those. I told you at the very beginning, I want you to get more done in this seven hours than in the next seven months of your business. Well, doing just a few of those things would already help you out with that. You're going to close more deals. You're going to have better communication, even just a recognizing of yourself of you're okay with being okay. So therefore you're not actually getting more of what you want in your life. Well, we're going to add on to that. We're just going to build, 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 build onto this. And I'm, I'm super excited. I'm super, I'm very honored that uh, our next speaker is going to be here. Our next trainer, I should say, is going to be here with us. Uh, Garrett Gunderson is a friend of mine. We've known each other for years. Uh, he is actually, it's his fault that I'm actually doing this. It's his fault that I'm here with especially orthodontists, right? He introduced me into the orthodontic world. Awesome. Edward's got his book, Killing Sacred Cows right there. It's an amazing book. And um, I, I, when I asked Garrett to do this, you know, I was a little worried because he is very much a high demand speaker. He travels all around the, the country. Well, he did before COVID, at least he's speaking a lot around the country. But he's also in the middle of doing something that I am incredibly jealous of. So many of you don't know this, and I'm sure it wouldn't shock a lot of you to hear, but about 25 years ago, I actually tried my hand at stand-up comedy in LA. I loved stand-up comedy, and I went and I took a stand-up comedy course, and I did a little stand-up comedy in the comedy store and a few other places like that. Uh, but life happened, and I didn't pursue that. Well, Garrett, being a very successful person that he is, uh, running multiple companies, uh, helping people improve in their companies. He actually decided a few years ago to go into stand-up comedy and start doing some stand-up comedy and creating really message-based stand-up comedy. And I was lucky enough to see him when he first started and then also see him just a few weeks ago. And it's just amazing. He's developing a new comedy special. So we're really lucky to have him here. I'm, I'm very grateful for him to be here. I hope that you get ready to take lots of notes in your notebook. I hope you've got lots of water and uh, just be ready to learn from Garrett. Garrett, thank you for being here. I'm, I'm so grateful. Uh, welcome, Garrett Gunderson, everybody. Give me a round of applause. There we go. Think I'm there he is. Now. Yeah. There you are. Yeah. It wanted me to click it, and I've got it all set up in the basement, as you know here. Uh, yes. This is my new comedy club uh, at my house, so... On April the 15th, I'm filming a special called The American Ream, which is a perfect day to film something called The American Ream, I believe, uh, as people are going to be paying more and more and more tax. Moving forward, unfortunately, but there are some things to navigate that legally and ethically. So the whole, the whole process is, and plan is to laugh people awake. I think that a lot of people have a lot of misinformation around Wall Street, uh, insurance, uh, banks, um, you know, retirement, retirement plans, taxes. So I think people learn more when they laugh. I think the studies are you retain three times more during laughter than just during regular education. And my philosophy is I wanted to really impact at least a million people by the time I died. And I still plan on doing that with my company, Wealth Factory. But I know billions want to be entertained where only millions want to be educated. So if I can kind of merge the two of them, hopefully I can reach more people and uh, make a bigger difference here. So, Dino, I don't know if you're going to ask me some questions to start. I know you and I have been going back and forth on that for uh, months now. I think Dino's really good at preparing and uh, making sure that he's very deliberate and thoughtful with everything that he brings. I definitely appreciate that about him. Something you may not know is back in the day, Dino had this program called The Business of Marriage. We met originally because I had a radio show. I brought him on to my radio show to talk about real estate. He had a thing called Drop the Hammer. And I had way too much real estate at the time. So I said, Dina, why don't you help me uh, with some ideas on my real estate? And then he started doing a lot of things around body language. And he started doing some things around how couples were really diverging a lot of times when you had a business owner and they're married and they had these different paths. And 
I felt like I'd gotten to a bad place in my marriage where we're mediocre and my wife was frustrated with me because I was always working and we hired him and he was phenomenal. So he's just a good coach in general. So whatever topic he chooses to address with people, he tends to do really well. I even endorsed his book, which I almost endorse no books because I have to read a book to endorse it. Uh, I know a lot of book endorsements. People say that it's endorsed by someone. That person didn't read the book. I read the book and then I endorsed it, you know, because that's kind of how I do it. So a little background on Dino and I and and it was really cool having you here, Dino, to, to do the comedy, you know, practice. That was awesome. Some of the reps. So, so I'll let you uh, start with the questions. I know what the action items are already based upon the preparation you've given for me, but uh, let's fill in the blanks. Well, I think, first of all, I would love to have everybody know kind of your story and what you've built, what you've done, and, and really even the pivots that you've made over the few years. But first, let's get into your story. Okay. So, uh, when I was 15 years old, I started my first business. It was just cleaning and detailing cars because my dad was a coal miner. And when the bosses would come into town, we'd clean the surface vehicles. I learned how to do that. I was playing sports. So having a, a part-time job wasn't really conducive with that. So I started detailing cars and started a business with that. And even that business, I had more business plan at age 16 than most businesses have. I had a, a P&L, I had my balance sheet. Because I learned about these things from people when I was 16 that worked with my mom at the school district. And so I went and met with the accountant, Patty Rigby, and she showed me how to do all these kind of things. And then I went and met with the people that were teaching marketing. So just, you know, I, did, I learned things outside of the classroom, which I commend you for doing here because I don't know if you're getting CE credit, but it always feels like when I'm up against the CE credit stuff at the orthodontist stuff, like I've got at first half the people are in the CE credit thing, but then usually by the end, people hear that I'm not just monotone and boring and it's probably worth getting, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in your pocket rather than a few credits. So um, ultimately, I started this business and I won $5,000 with it for being the young entrepreneur of the year when I was a teenager. And I grew up in a small coal mining town, so $5,000 seemed like a lot of money. And I thought, well, I'll just, I want to invest this. Now, my family put money in coffee cans in the cellar right? That's how they invested their money. They were afraid of everything. So they wouldn't sign off as custodians. So when I was 18, I could finally invest it. I started to, in, you know, go to banks and, and like just basic, you know, local little Cedar City, Utah investment companies. And I asked questions and someone's like, yeah, I, I could help you, but why don't you do an internship with us? And so I started an internship in June of 1998 when I was uh, 19 years old in the financial services business, which sounds like uh, maybe it would be cool, but the bottom line is they're like, hey, just bring your family and friends to us so we can pitch them life insurance and mutual funds. And I did that initially, and my family thought I was a financial Einstein because in 98 and 99, everybody made money. The market just went up. But people that now took their money from coffee cans into that market in the year 2000 happens, it starts to go down. I went from being financial Einstein to being like, what the hell's going on? And family reunions even got a lot more awkward at that point. So basically... By May of 2000, all my clients but one were out of the stock market because I recognized I didn't know what was going to make it go up or down. I wasn't doing any technical analysis. I'd never met the fund managers that I was putting them into. I was getting paid a commission for these transactions. And that's when my education began. I started flying somewhere every single month for 26 straight months. And I used my young age to leverage to be able to speak to people who normally might not just meet with your average person. And I figured out pretty quickly what I was learning and teaching was not what the wealthiest people were doing. They had a completely different methodology. They had a different way of mitigating risk. Their guaranteed returns were on saving tax, not having to pay interest. They were by saving the, the fees that were non-performing and, and creating private placement type of things. And ultimately, they had better structure with their insurance. And so I was like, well, great. Why don't I just focus on efficiency rather than risk? So I became an expert around how people can keep way more money uh, and what they make without cutting back or budgeting. So it was efficiency, it was plugging financial leaks and not coupon clipping. Instead, this was substantial dollars, like for, for you know, dentists and orthodontists and chiropractors, which I used to work with like exclusively. We were finding for people that were doing a half a million dollars of revenue, they were saving $2,484 per month by being more efficient and an average of $11,430 of taxes per year. Now, when we get into the million of revenue or the 2 million or the 5 million or the 22 million, which I've had orthodontists do that because they had multiple practices. Then the numbers got crazy. We had a guy that had five practices and we saved him $39,000 per month. 
And this was money that he didn't have to scrimp or budget or work on every single day or take risk with. It was just money that was going to financial institutions because there wasn't enough financial savvy or insight to be able to fix that. So I was a financial nerd, still kind of am. I've had a mind for money. Um, I know that I don't look like a financial guy, but you know, some people have called me money Jesus before with this kind of hair, but uh, I, I don't really have Jesus's powers. I just have the looks and I have the gray hair because I have kids and he never did. Okay. That's why it's great. Just letting you know. So, so yeah, that's, that's a little bit of my background and, and focus, but I would say one last piece of the story is I got really clear in 2006 that no matter how much money I help people have, no matter how much more they were getting, they weren't necessarily directly related to being happier because a lot of times they had a lot of chaos in their lives. And most importantly, they started to sacrifice who they were for their business at the cost of their health and their family and their hobbies. And so I really decided, and it was kind of a scary thing to do, was to emphasize this concept of soul purpose, S-O-U-L. Soul purpose is your values, which are script for how you operate, combined with your passions and abilities for the highest context of living. Soul purpose is not formulaic. Formulaic is great for systems and processes, but it's, it minimizes self-expression. Soul purpose is unique to you. It's not a box to be checked either. It's who you are when you're at your best, fully self-expressed. I think the way that we find it primarily is through an inner knowing a lot of times the way it's discovered is through intuition, through a gentle nudge or a gut feeling. It's easy to ignore in the moment, but if ignored, tends to lead to unrest and even depression. So when we can have that inner voice or that inner knowing come and say, this is what you really want. This is what you're capable of. Instead of saying, yeah, but I've got a student loan to pay off, or I got another orthodontist that has more revenue than I do, or if I just work harder for this next year, then it'll all pay off two years from now. But we become our habits. Sacrifice wants us to think it's a temporary guest, that it's an exception. It's just this once, but it creates habits that permanently stay. And what happens is people look back and they go, what happened in my life? Why am I feeling so tired? Why aren't things better? And what happens is you show up that way with your team with a level of exhaustion. This is why retirement becomes a big concept because people just want to retire from doing things that they hate. They want to just finally go and enjoy life, but they haven't learned how to do that because of the busyness, because of the example that they've set, because of the messes they now have to clean up due to neglect or thinking it was going to be temporary. So, so I'm very passionate about this concept of sole purpose being at the centerpiece of everything you do because it's congruent with who you are. And a lot of people tell me they know who they are out of a defense mechanism because they don't want people to know things are imperfect. Hell, life is imperfect. I mean, Making mistakes is part of life. And when you have a better life, it doesn't mean you stop making mistakes. It just means they don't define you. You know, it's like mistakes don't make you less lovable. They just make you human. And the only real mistake I think is important to avoid is the mistake of wrapping your life and love in conditions. Those conditions of if, then, when. That if I'm this, then I'll be more lovable. If I have that, I'll be more happy. Like the reality is we have those choices every single moment if we define what we want our life to be. And this is the deal. If you create a game, if you look at life as a game, this game of life, if you create the game worth winning, you've already won. But if you get stuck playing not to lose, thinking I got to protect and preserve and scrimp and save and hold on, and this is scary and this is risky and I just got to keep what I've got and I'll spend all the time in the world to save and scrimp. You've probably had those patients that they don't want to pay you. They just want to get the best deal and the best deal. And they've researched every orthodontist in the area to find out which one is going to give them the cheapest, but they don't care about value. And they waste their life trying to cut things out. Now, there's other people that are entrepreneurial that spend their whole life playing to win, only focused on the future, always on that treadmill, hustle, bustle, do everything I can, because one day, someday it'll get better and then I'll have enough. Either of those are losing games. A game worth winning is me saying, I love comedy. It was a hobby and I made it a career that was congruent with who I am. So now even doing the comedy practice is a win. It's an excitement. It's fun. The win is in the work. And if you're doing too much work that you don't enjoy, you're either doing it to save money or because you don't trust in other people or you're just a crappy leader. And like we all have to face it sometimes when we're crappy leaders. I recognized in my business, I'm a great motivator. 
I'm great at inspiring people. I'm terrible at giving them consistent support day to day. So I finally had to fully turn that over to someone in our business. And it created some turnover because some employees only wanted to work for me. But what it did is it created freedom in my life and it allowed someone to operate in their full power without having to be in the shadow of me or worried about, is this how Garrett would do it? So, so anyway, when you discover your sole purpose, then you create a game worth winning, then you've already won. The win is in the work. The win is in the experience. You're not trying to get to something or away from something. You're not hiding from your problems, playing not to lose, or running from them, trying to play to win. You're living a life you love. And I don't know why I'm yelling so much. I'm a passionate person. None of you are in trouble that I know. I mean, can, I would be the worst orthodontist. I'd come in, I'm like, how's those teeth? And they're like, geez, I just need to get out of here. I, I'm sorry. Like, I, but thankfully, you know, you guys have stuck with it here and, 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 and helping us out there. That's awesome. Well, I was, I was saying that I, I love the, the, the passion, the excitement that you get around it because it just, it, it gets me excited too. And it fires me up. And I'm, I'm really excited about this, this idea and this topic that we're talking about all day today, but I'm so glad you mentioned the sole purpose part of it. Cause I told everybody here that I wanted to talk around that idea of sole purpose, wealth creation. Now, pretty much everybody here has chosen their career. They're probably not going to go and all of a sudden change that to becoming something else now, uh, there, there's, they're in it. Right. Right. But I think there's a difference between having to only work. It's like that idea of people who say, well, I only want to do my passion. Like, well, could you just bring your passion to what you do? Like, is that possible? How can everyone here really know if they are, or if they're not, how can they bring their sole purpose to what they do? So sole purpose is who you are at your core. At your core. What, what you do is either aligned or not aligned. So your attention to detail may have allowed you to be a great surgeon. As, you know, It may have allowed you to be a great accountant. Hopefully, orthodontics allows you to express that sole purpose as an expression that says, my career is congruent with who I am. And so where, where I've seen people that have lost a little bit of zeal or passion in their business, because let's face it, like, Passion is a fuel. It's not the sole, sole solution. It's a fuel that supports. But if you're on a rocket ship with uh, plenty of fuel, but not on the right course, you can get to a very dangerous place that doesn't get, you know, end up being where you want to go. So for me, like when I create a vision that's compelling. So in Wealth Factory, the vision was 1 million entrepreneurs to become financially independent so they can change their family's financial future and destiny to build a life they love. The million gives me like, a vision has to be outside of your reach. Like if you can reach it, it's called a goal. It's called an objective. If you already know how to do it by yourself, that's not a vision. A vision requires four things. Number one, co-creation. A vision is not something someone does alone. They find people they, they can co-create with. Number two, we have to learn to eliminate. Now this is really important for sole purpose. Eliminate specifically escapism. Escapism can be as simple as a TV series or a movie where we get caught up in the character rather than our own life because we don't know how to deal with or don't want to deal with people. So what do we do? We just turn to social media or the news rather than deal with our own life and know the cost of a relationship, especially the one with ourselves. So we spend an inordinate amount of our lives as human beings in complaining in frustration, and also in being numb. What that might look like is, what issues have you yet to address or face in your life? I get it, procrastination, you know? It's, it's, it's uh, easy to, you know, just have excuses and say, well, I don't have time for this, or make projects so big that we pretend there isn't time for anything else. But anything we delay or choose not to address takes up space in our brain, takes more time in the long run, and ultimately undermines our ability to create a vision and to deliver value because it lowers our power. So we've got to find out where our escapisms are. Escapisms can be anything, anything that is just non-productive for you and puts you in the wrong direction. Like I'll, when I'm being in an escapism, I might be listening to sports talk radio in the morning rather than maybe starting with a little nice ritual that might be a little stretching or workout or writing in some gratitude. And instead, Sports Talk Radio, I haven't even watched the games. 
I don't even, I, I'm listening to people argue about people I don't even know because I just don't want to deal with something in my life. So one of the things that gives us power is instead of hiding from problems or running from them, we simply take some time each day for depth and harmony to say, what is it that we are up to in life? Like, what is the thing that is exciting enough that we're willing to co-create with someone? Like for me, it was like, you know what the game is? I want to plant a seed of hope, connection, and expression in the hearts of one billion people on the planet. Comedy is the key resource to do that. Music is a key resource to do that. Um, performance, or, or I'm writing a one-man show, is a key way to do that. So it changed things where I now, when the world is in chaos because of COVID or because of po politics or because of whatever is going on in the news, I am excited about my purpose, even if it means I'm in the middle of memorization of something, which isn't always exciting. The overriding what I'm up to is exciting because it engages the best of who I am. We all have an inner artist, whether that artist is an entrepreneur that starts a business or an orthodontist that can bring beauty to people's lives that every day they can start to smile again. We all have this artistry in us. So where do you find that artistry? Where you don't have that in your business, what is, is required is the third step, delegation. Delegation obviously is, pretty, is something you've heard about a lot, but as you build personal profitability and get momentum, it's about creating space for the things that you do best and that you love to do. And here's the secret that's different than what you've probably heard. You delegate roles, R-O-L-E-S, not tasks. Tasks are like boomerangs that keep coming back around asking what to do next. When you delegate a role, you remove the micromanagement, freeing you up to do and live your winning game because now you have time to think. Now you have time for the direction. Vision is the ultimate container in which we create value in the world and money follows value. And most people don't take time to create a vision because they don't think it's work, but it's uh, some of the hardest work that we do and the rarest of commodities. So when you're finding less passion for your business, you're taking on too much. You might believe in the notion of you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Well, you want something done your, and do it yourself, just plan on being exhausted. You require quality people to support you so that you could do what you do best. And then the fourth thing, this is the game changer, is collaboration. Collaboration is different than co-creation. Co-creation is where you find someone that can support and inspire you. Uh, co-creation is where you can find a place where someone can bring accountability and possibility so you move beyond scarcity and that you can share your ideas with in a way that moves you forward. Where collaboration is, You've got to find the people that are completely different than who you are for your team so that if you're not a details person, you've got a details person. If you're not an operations person, you've got an operations person. If you're not an aesthetic and beauty person, you've got that. Like You collaborate with the people that are missing from your team so that you can truly own your vision in a way that is the primary function of your life and that those people are inspired and excited by it. So you bring these, these personas, I, 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 could, I, I don't have time to share all the details, but maybe I'll just get an audio book if, pe if people promise not to share it. It's not out yet, but I'll give it to you, Dino. Nobody has to buy it, but it's to understand the four different personas that are in the world that you work with. And you're one of the four, but if you don't have the other three, you'll be limited in your ultimate results. And so by understanding your persona, you figure out there's a shadow side and a light side. The shadow side comes from scarcity. It's demonstrative and it destroys wealth. On the light side, it's actually your most powerful gifts that will help your soul purpose shine. And once you understand what gets you in the shadow self, you can start to remove those things and embrace that kind of winning persona. But it comes down to this vision that creates the game worth winning. So let me break this down with vision. First off, creating a vision the way that we get there is it's not about the money you have today, the time that you feel you're constrained by, or your abilities. Those are only limiting factors when you try to do too much alone. When we try to do too much alone, we hit levels of exhaustion, we lower our leadership, and we, we diminish our sole purpose. So what we have to understand is that there's two forms of capital to tap into. One is your mental capital, ideas, knowledge, wisdom, insights, strategies, and tools, but also tap into other people's mental capital, and second is your relationship capital. People, networks, organizations, it's your team, it's your mentors, it's your family, your friends, your, it's Dino. You tap into that where you don't have the answers 
And if you're vulnerable enough to ask the right questions, you'll have exponential growth. But most people try to pretend they've got it figured out. They want everyone to think it's all perfect and fine, but it's not always perfect and fine. And that's part of growth and living. So when we can tap into hidden capital, it helps to become a fuel for our vision. And when we have this vision, then it's really about saying, what's your game worth winning? Where you determine what the win is, where you decide the rules. Most of us think the rules are what is already established in orthodontics, right? Where your office is, what times you're serving, like how people are, I mean, all this kind of stuff. But I've had orthodontists that I go, wow, you guys have embodied what I'm teaching in my new book, which is called Win, Then Play. Win first, then play. Like I have this orthodontist like, yeah, yeah, uh, moms just pay money for months until they paid up for the braces. Then the kid comes in and gets the braces. I'm like, so you get paid for the services before you provided them? That's win, then play. That's awesome. There's whole sites like Indiegogo, you know, and, 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 and uh, I don't know, all these different crowdsource where people pay first before they get the product. So you know that the market wants it. That's an example of win, then play financially. But part of win, then play in your life is a vision that you love, a vision that you don't want to retire from a vision that's worth working towards, a vision that's worth the minutia to get there, a vision that inspires people. Because if your vision is to retire, guess what? That's not inspiring to your team unless you're an a-hole. Because <laughs> retirement, they're like, oh, great. We get to work so that you get to have a nice car, a great house, and don't have to work anymore. Let's do this. Nobody wants to do that. They're forced to do that because they feel like they need to earn the money. So when you focus on yourself, when you get excited about what you're up to in life, when you ooze passion, you bring so much energy to the team around you, which also means not everybody gets to say, because some people don't like new vision. Some people want it to never change. Some people want to hold you back and you go, oh, and they've done so much for me. Yes, they serve their purpose, but they're now serving a purpose that's against you because they don't want your growth, because they want to stay with status quo. And vision always challenges status quo. So, so we've got vision, we've got tapping into hidden capital, We've got creating a game worth winning. And here's the one that's probably least expected, most important. We also talk sole purpose, but this is the thing that unlocks life more than anything. And I know I'm a financial guy saying this. I get it. I get it. But ultimately, if you haven't created a vision that's compelling, you've already lost. Number two, though, if you haven't figured out a way to embrace love in your life, like to love yourself, to like and love who you are in all your glory and imperfections, in all your mistakes and all your achievements. Just find a way to love who you are. Not, oh, once I lose 15 pounds, I'll be more lovable. Or once I hire four more employees and I get another seven figures of revenue, I'll be more lovable. Those games never work out. They never do. But if you can find a way to love yourself, you've won the game. The game's over. The bank account will probably get bigger, but it won't be as important because you'll be enjoying stuff and worrying about things less. Like, I should probably think about money more than I do, but it's kind of like air. I tend to have plenty of it, so I don't panic about it, you know? I've got automation and infrastructure that supports my finances. When we had a bunch of people say they want to raise taxes to 50.9 or 59.6%, had a little scarcity about it. So I said, what can I do to, to resolve that? And I got really intelligent about my taxes so I don't just sit there and worry about it or blame the politicians. I can get back to, hey, I love my life. I'm doing what I love with comedy, with business, and especially with my family. I'm heading to Sedona next week. We're going to spend a week together. We're going to go out hiking and enjoying things because don't wait for retirement to enjoy life. I spent two months in Italy. It was awesome. And I came back and I still had a business to run that I loved. If it would have been scary if I only wanted to have four-hour meals every day because eventually that got a little old. Now, I got to say, Italians know how to live, so it sucks I can't go there during COVID. Um, but I brought Italy here. I've now got my own little espresso machine, and I make those every day, you know, Aperol spritz in the summer. Anyway, I'm getting off topic there, but the reality is you got to love your life. And it's not easy to love our life sometimes. Like, it's easy. Like, I told my wife, I'm like, if I could hear all your inner thoughts, I would be pissed that people would say that about my wife because she's so damn harsh on herself sometimes. The reality is, if that's our thinking, nothing is going to really improve that. So if you're in that place, I got a couple suggestions. Just find one person in this world that you can just unconditionally love and go all out in it. 
If you can find unconditional love for them, it's the gateway to find unconditional love for you. Number two, write a love letter yourself. If you can't write a love letter yourself because you can't be nice enough, then write out everything that you hate about yourself and then just find one piece of gratitude of why that can actually be a good thing for you. And guess what? These are going to be their keys to a vision. Because a vision where you don't feel worthy, a vision where you don't feel capable, a vision where you don't feel whatever, because of something your parents said to you or a childhood trauma is going to prevent you from having this incredible life. And I know I'm a financial guy talking about all this. I get it. But when I chased money in my 20s, I was an arrogant dick. I mean, I really was a narcissistic a-hole. And when I look back at that, I'm like, it's just because I thought my value was in the dollar. Now, money is valuable. Anyone that says money's not important probably doesn't have much of it. I think it's a very valuable resource because we can hire people with it. We can feed ourselves with it. And I went out into the woods for a week with my kids and, I did, and my money was no good. And my skills weren't that good either out in the woods. So I'm just really glad we have money. It's really important, but it needs to be a companion, not a solo artist. If money is your only goal, you'll be severely disappointed because if you go, hey, money, make me happy. Guess what? It's not capable of it. But if it's there to add to it, to be more generous with it, to support your vision with it, it's an amazing companion. It's funny because as you were talking about this, I was thinking about you. I was thinking about Michael. And I was like, man, you guys with the notes I'm I'm writing down, I'm wondering if this event is more for me than it is you. Because <laughs> there's definitely some things here that I'm like, oh, snap. I guess. Listen, uh, I'm going to go all the way back to what you said a moment ago where you talked about elimination and escapism. Uh, it's that, that hit me hard because I've known that for a couple of like well, a while, but really the last probably couple of months, uh, I got COVID at the beginning of the, of the year. Uh, you know, it was a great excuse cause I was really sick for a good week, but that week has turned into like two months when it comes to working out, when it comes to doing some other things I want in my business. And I have found a lot of really good justifiable escapes in my life. Like I, I've started, I want to play guitar. So I started picking up guitar and when I have stuff to do at work or for my work, I'll be like, well, but I'm also supposed to practice guitar today. So I'm going to go pick up the guitar and I'm going to practice that and, you know, cut to 45 minutes later. And then all of a sudden something else comes up and I never get to the thing I was supposed to get to. So that hit me really hard. Um, and then going over to your, um, where did I go here? So I talk about this because, and I credit you in my book as well about the relationship capital, the mental capital and the financial capital. What I want people to walk away from this in the next about 15 minutes we have left here is I want them to really walk away with some, some examples or some action items around really being in that like uh, sole purpose wealth creation mode. Because the fact of the matter is, Garrett, look, you've been through this. Sometimes stuff sucks, right? When we first were really getting to know each other and you had something like 30 houses that you didn't want, you know, in real estate or something like that, right? Like that was a really sucky time. This, everybody heard my story of 2008 and that sucky time. It's, it's hard when stuff is not going well, when you don't have the team that you love that you want to be with. How do you stay in sole purpose? How do you, how do you? be okay with that while things are not going well? Uh, Rich Christensen helped me out with this when it was that time, because what mm. we did is we sat down, he wrote a book called Zigzag Principle. And um, what he said was, you have the reality of this real estate portfolio that's suffering that you need to deal with. It's just decisions you've made. Um, so why don't we just figure out like, what's the number one thing you can do that you enjoy that's going to be productive for your life and business? He said, what's the number one thing? And at that time, this is 2008, and we decided teleseminars. Back then, it was conference calls, teleseminars. We didn't have Zoom. And uh, I just spent the majority of my time doing that. And he goes, but you still get 25% of your time to clean up the messes. But the problem is most people flip that. They spend 75% of the time in the mess, 25% of the time. In the so what you do is you get crazy strategic when you've only allocated 25% for cleaning up the mess that you know you have responsibility in. But you get extraordinarily productive when you've now allocated more time intentionally with time and space. Like I'm, I'm doing this comedy special. And so it, like, 
like Dino's right. Like the chance of me being on something like this right now is about a 5% chance because everything that's not related directly to my comedy special is a no. But uh, I just handed Dino over to Aaron and Aaron knew that Dino came and watched me do some comedy. He's like, yeah, we're, we're going to do this. And I was like, great. Um, and it's nice because it's a little bit of a break. Because, But I got to tell you, when I'm doing this, like I have time carved out. I worked on my comedy for two hours this morning. I've still got another four hours this afternoon. I use my co-creators so I don't just like, you know, go into other things. It means I'm not answering my emails. I've now turned my emails over to my team. I only have one personal email that I check at most once a day. I don't have notifications when text messages come in. I've just created a way that those distractions don't get a chance to come in. And anyone that that might be offensive to, I let them know what I'm up to and I love and dearly care for them and that I might not be as good at communication over the next little while but if they do feel that, please reach out to me and we'll definitely have a conversation. As a matter of fact, if they want to come to one of my Zoom practices, come on over. We'll go to dinner afterwards. Like I let them know there's plenty of love for them. But I also just went to my team and I delegated roles, R-O-L-E-S. I said, you own this like it's a business. I'm not going to micromanagement. We're not going to meet about it. You just come to me if you need something. And so that's that zigzag, which is you zig your way to the number one focus, then you can zag your way to more resources as you clean up the messes. And then you can zig your way back to scalability, but you start by focusing on what you do best and carving out more time. Even if it's 5% more time, you'll see exponential growth. 10%, you'll see even more logarithmic growth. I mean, let me just tell you, like 2017 or 2018, I decided to go do stand-up comedy as an open mic. Now, I don't, it was a hobby. I did good enough on my first set that these comedians said, why don't you start opening for us? I start doing it a little bit more as a hobby. I start integrating it into my speaking. I hire a, a guy that I'm co-writing with and that I'm working on my comedy with every single week. And then during COVID, I have this epiphany about, hey, more people would learn from comedy than they're going to learn from my speeches. So I write a special in November of, of 2020. I start writing the special. I get a manager that's a Hollywood manager. You can look him up on IMDb or Wikipedia, Barry Katz. He's now managing me. We're now, we've now got Marty Collin as our, as our uh, executive producer. He did Robin Williams, Chris Rock. He won an Emmy with Seinfeld. Like, it's insane. That's vision. I didn't know how it was going to happen. I just committed to it. And I created the time and space for it every day. So most comedians don't write 55 pages of jokes in four months, but we did because I carved out the time. Did I still have things going on in the business? Absolutely. What I did is I said, Monday is going to be my day dedicated to business. Any problems, any issues, and let's not email all week about it because on Tuesdays, I'm totally dedicated to writing. On Tuesday nights and Thursday nights, we're doing comedy sets. On Wednesdays, we're going to the stage and we're practicing certain bits and getting understanding of what the beats are. Like I just carve out the time and space. Most people use task lists. Task lists are going to eat your life for lunch. They're unending. They're never ending. So what I do is I have this methodology. I say, okay, what is my vision? And what are the things that really are important to get done in the next two weeks for that vision? And I carve out time and space in my calendar. So every Tuesday and Thursday, we know at 530, I'm doing a performance. I was tired last night. I did two performances all the way through. And when it was over, I slept well, but it felt great, right? I just, I just had it carved out. Second thing, what am I not doing now? There's a lot of good ideas that come my way. Usually something like this would be, it's not doing now. We're going to do them eventually, but we're putting a pin in those, and we're not going to put them on the schedule. I have most of those targeted for May 1st. So I'm not doing any of this kind of stuff other than maybe one in 20 between now and May 1st. Then what am I never doing? What things am I never doing anymore? Operations in the business, gone. Someone tried to tell me about someone that, they, that the firm let go yesterday. I go, cool, not my, I don't need to know. Not my thing. Like I had to remove that much from it. Then the fourth thing is a parking lot. My parking lot is I have ideas that are exciting, but it's not the right time for them. So I put them in the parking lot. And what I do is I make sure not to have more than five objectives in a quarter. Five objectives, and if it's outside those objectives, it goes to the parking lot or it gets removed, it's something I'm not doing, or that I'm never doing. And by having that, I start intentionally creating my life. And so if you look at your calendar at the end of every day, and say, did this calendar represent who I am as a human being? 
does this represent the vision of where I want to go? Or there are things that no longer represent who I am and I need to remove those. I either need to pay for someone else to do it, I need to stop doing it completely, or I've got to start taking more time for the things that are important and less, less time for those. Do that every single day until it becomes more natural. I think when, when you go to what you said here, I put down the 80-20 rule, right? Like even when we have, uh, let's say we have a challenging team member, we have a challenging situation in our business that pops up. Typically, we spend 80% of our time focused on that challenge and 20% on the growth of the company or uh, their strategies. Flipping that is what you just said, being able to spend the majority of your time with what you want, people you want, how you want to think, who you want to be around, and the rest of the time on what you need to take care of. Because the fact of the matter is those, those problems aren't going to go away, but are they going to be the biggest thing in your world? Or are they going to be a thing in your world? Well, here's, here's, here's the solution though, Diener. And this is not easy, but it's so effective. I know it. I've been there. I do this. And, and I've really been addressing this and life has gotten better. Everybody feels like they don't have enough time, but you know where you can recover tons of time? Like I had a, a, something that happened on Tuesday. I got really kind of frustrated about it. But then this morning, I just called the person, and in 15 minutes, we worked it out. In the past, I would have waited two weeks. I would have been telling all the stories in my head about how crazy this was, and they don't like I'd be frustrated with them. So I just created these, these structures. Like at our firm, I said, hey, gossip's not allowed. Gossip is when you try to get someone else on your side without talking to the other person. So it's like, let's say Dino and I, uh, we're, we don't, we want to, I tell him, oh, you don't like, you shouldn't like Aaron. Aaron does this and that, and here's what's wrong. And so many people spend a majority of their life talking about other people that to get them on their side because they want to feel justified. They want to feel validated. They want to feel whatever. There's a million reasons. By the way, if you're doing that, it's because they've triggered something in you you don't want to face about yourself, just so you know. I, I hate saying that because I was complaining a lot about my brother-in-law and I was like, damn it, I'm complaining about him because he's not expressing in certain areas and I'm pissed the areas that I'm not expressing, including just talking to him directly. So I just went and had the conversation. By the way, when those conversations come up, we're like, well, I got a busy day and they're out of town. I literally be like, oh, can we meet at 7? How about 6.30 a.m.? I'll bring coffee. Like, you just find a way to shuffle it around because it's going to free up your life. So the second thing is complaining is different than gossip. Sometimes something happens in the moment. You just want to get the complaint out. It's a venting, so you don't hold it and reprocess it in your head. Fine. Do it once and move on and let the person know you're complaining and venting so that you can move on. And then is if anyone in your team can get this third thing, which is a committed complaint. If someone's complaining to you, it has to be committed, meaning by the end of the complaint, they have to say what they're going to do to talk to the person they're actually complaining about. So you help create a strategy so they feel safe and prepared to go have that conversation. Or four, sometimes in life, we just get powerful enough that we go right to the source and address it immediately. And guess what? We free up all the time of the worry and the stories and the frustration but people, especially business owners, suck at firing someone because they're worried about that person. Well, guess what? You're being an a-hole by not telling them what's wrong because you're narcissistic and think you can control and make everything perfect. And now your little world isn't perfect. So you start telling stories about them and it being their fault, but now you're scared to talk to them. I'm only speaking from personal experience here. Like this is exactly <laughs> what I did for years. And then finally, I got to a point where I could actually, the last person I fired was uh, last year. And he gave me a huge hug at the end of the thing. He's like, thank you. We actually stay in touch now because I just was straightforward with him instead of dancing around it and pretending like everything's okay or not telling him the truth about the matter. One of my most impactful mentors today, I said, hey, you need to listen better. Your life will get better if you listen more. And I was like, for what it's worth, <laughs> you know, I'm like, all this issue you're having is listening and expecting someone else to solve it for you. If you listen, They'll actually tell you the solution. You don't have to come up with anything. So anyway, I, I, hopefully that helps because I just think we have a lot of wasted time with escapism, with blaming, with complaining, with frustration, especially if you find yourself complaining about politics, you're wasting your time. That's an escapism. If you find yourself complaining about COVID, you know, maybe if it's a family health issue, that's not a waste of time. But if it's masks or no masks or, or, you know, blah, 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 it's like we're just wasting our life on things out of our control that take us away from purpose. Your job is not to save the world. You're not capable of doing it. I'm not. We're here to take care of ourselves and then our family, and then we can take care of our team, and then we can take care of our community, 
and maybe that impacts the world. If you skip a step and then you're going to save the world, you're a narcissistic lunatic. Just help yourself. If you don't love yourself, stop trying to help everybody else. That's the thing. I couldn't do comedy till I accepted who I was. And now life is a whole hell of a lot better. You know, it's funny. I get to make fun of myself now. It's a lot, it's like pretty funny instead of being like, I hope nobody knows that I gained a few pounds this weekend because I ate too much chocolate cake. Now I just enjoy the chocolate cake and go like, so what? There's sugar in it. I'm done judging it. I'm a human being. It tasted delicious. I used to be paleo and robotic. And my wife's like, you're no fun to go on a date with. You don't even eat anything fun ever again. And like, okay. So anyway, just some random thoughts there for you at the end. That's totally my problem. Being paleo and vegan has been a big challenge for me, as you can tell. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, well, what with what you were saying right there, what was uh, kind of hitting me was the ego around it, right? Like I have the ego of one of the things that sidetracks me when I want to complain or to have an argument with someone around whatever it is, like you said, mask, uh, politics, whatever, COVID. Uh, it's it totally goes to the, the place of me thinking that I could just say, I, I'm going to say the one thing that's going to change their mind. It's like arguing on Facebook, right? No one ever changes their mind from a Facebook argument. Right. But in my head, I think, oh no, if I just were able to say this one thing to them, that would totally switch their, their, their mind around. And so I know that that's based in ego there. Okay. So when it comes to, let's uh, wrap this up with, with this, when it comes to, everyone on this call being able to kind of implement some very specific things around, I want to say specifically around uh, their sole purpose and how they feel about their business connected with their sole purpose. Is there something that you've seen? You've talked to a lot of orthodontists. You've worked in the, this field. You've worked with the chiropractors and the, uh, the dentists as well. What is the thing that you see is holding so many people back more than anything else that's out there, especially right now in our, in our day and age right now? The number one thing by far, and I'll tell you it's relatives, is censorship. Censorship. You're wealthy. Mm. You're not allowed to have problems. That's crap. It, you're allowed to mm. have emotions. Feel them instead of pushing them down. The cousins of censorship show up as fear and anger. Fear. What if I say something wrong and then all of a sudden I, you know, I upset someone or anger. How could someone believe that? They're idiots. Who could be that stupid? I'm going to not be their friend because they voted for someone or because they said something that I disagree with. Who in the hell is going to agree with everything I think? Only a lunatic. You know, who's going to agree with everything that D thought Dino's ever had? No one because it's, it's Dino's brain. It's Dino's life. Like, so censorship is when we stop being who we are to appease others. When we do that, we lose power, we diminish our vision, we lack leadership, we show other people it's okay to, like, like I've had major family retreats and conversations since December, and it's amazing. My dad's like, I just feel this heavy burden. I'm like, well, why don't we just talk about these burdens rather than you carrying them? I don't know you have them, and yet you're worried about me and my kids or my wife. Why don't we just talk about it? You being worried about us, it can go away by you talking about it. That's the only way because now maybe we can make a course correction or adjustment. I don't see it as judgment. I feel it as love. So communicating and asking more powerful questions of yourself and those you love. How do they see you? What's the best thing about you? What would they rely on you for? What like you don't see your sole purpose sometimes because it's too close and we discount it. We think everybody else is good at it. So if you can ask yourself questions like, what have, I, what have I not accepted about myself? What don't I love about myself? What could I do differently on a daily basis that would bring me more joy and that would bring me closer to the relationships that matter the most? What am I sacrificing that I'm never getting to, that I'm always pushing off, and what would it do to take some time in my calendar to do something for myself? The next thing is we've got to stop seeing taking care of ourselves as selfish and start embracing it as self-care. Like, you know, I, I'm... This whole notion of the greater good is really scary because when we give up who we are for the so-called greater good, then what is the greater good when nobody's who they are? It's a bunch of robots living a life that isn't what they really want to live, which is impossible to build a life you love if you don't know who you are, you don't understand your sole purpose, and you don't live it. It's time to change the narrative 
and our conversations and time into one of investigation and internal looking at our sole purpose rather than external validation and pretending that we're always happy. Seemingly successful and unhappy is a front that works until it doesn't. It's time to determine what you want for your life without guilt and without shame. You know? Uh, I, I love that. Um, the taking care of yourself thing. I, I often use the analogy of the swimmer saving the little boy, you know, and getting ready to smash up against the rocks or against the, 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 the pier. And, and Shannon hates that analogy, especially a lot of moms hate that analogy. Cause I usually use, you know, it's your child. Do you save yourself or, you know, do you put yourself to take the brunt or do you have them take the brunt of the blow? Um, and I think we've gotten into this really, really uh, terrible cycle, this destructive cycle of, oh, I'll just, you know, not get this thing for myself. I'll not take care of myself. I won't tell that person how I'm really feeling because I don't want to hurt their feelings. I won't tell that team member where they're not pulling their weight because I don't want to deal with the, the fear of rejection, the fear of retaliation that, so I'll censor myself and I'll, I'll do it under the guise of, I am actually loving them enough not to hurt them, but I contend that when you are truly loving that person, you'll actually be more willing to open up that censorship. Like you said, with you and your dad, have that real conversation. Cause I love you. I want to know these things. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, so, and the final <laughs> thing is the third step is, Hey, it's, it's, it's important to just get your finances handled because money creates a lot of pain for people. Like I know a lot of orthodontists I work with, they believe, Oh, I could just make more. But the problem is, as you make more and then you pay more tax, you can sometimes get into even more trouble. Or as you, more, you buy more things and now have more payments, it can feel like you're not getting further ahead or not having the right transfer of risk because you're exposed without the right asset protection or things like the right insurances can leave you vulnerable. So getting that handled, when money becomes less of a concern and more of an ally, life gets easier. Life just gets in a place where you can think more about service than you think about survival where you can think about value more than you can think about getting. And that's what the world kind of needs right now. People are in the, hold on to what I've got. Take what I can get. And yet there's so many people in trouble out there and struggling that if you can get to a place where you're in abundance and you've taken care of yourself, like my wife and I are talking about maybe having foster kids because we're financially viable to do that. And we're emotionally available, even though we know it might be hard on us because we feel like that could be an impact, not just on them, but on us to understand what it's like when people are in an unsafe home or been sexually abused or something and to actually give that child unconditional love so that they could feel like a valued member of society or thinking in my life, like what if I gave a percentage of my proceeds, like a high percentage, like 10% of everything I do in comedy to Native American people that have just been absolutely ignored and, and devastated by COVID, by the way, and absolutely my life is better because we took stuff from them. Now, that doesn't mean that I should feel bad about being white or anything, but it does mean I have the ability to give and pay things forward because I'm in abundance instead of just trying to make ends meet. In 2008, I couldn't think those thoughts. I'm just trying to pay the bills. I'm just trying to keep everything together. So if you get in a financial place where you can start thinking about impact, especially on your family, especially like it starts to have outreach into your community, into your tribe, you can become something that helps people in pain instead of where they're afraid to talk because everybody, they think that they're, they're not a voice that can be heard or that everybody else is struggling so much. Like when COVID hit, I just emailed my family. I'm like, I've saved up a, a lot of money. I've done what I've taught my clients to do. If you're in trouble, I'm here to help. Please let me know. If you're scared, I'm here to help. I've got access to incredible doctors. If you're, if you're not feeling like your immune system's good right now, we've worked with thousands of some of the most brilliant minds in that field. I could make a phone call. Like I showed up as help rather than as scared. I didn't contribute more to an already scary situation because I had my finances handled. I've been working on loving myself. And by the way, I'm by no means perfect. You can ask my kids. They've got plenty of stories. You can ask my wife. She will tell it with plenty of laughter. But the bottom line is, I know that I have value because I'm a human. I know you have value because you're a human. I think we all came from the same place. Hopefully, we're all going to the same place. And what I do to you, I do to myself. So if we can have more of that philosophy, we can make a greater life for ourselves and those that we come in contact with. 
Whoo! Wow. Holy moly. That was a lot, you guys, again. Like this has been a, a, a over and over again, just machine gun stuff. What I want everybody to do right now for Garrett is I want you to put into the chat bots, uh, bot again or the chat area again, just like we did with Michael. What is your takeaway? If you have one or two or three takeaways, take those away. Uh, take those away. Write those in there so Garrett can see those. Yeah, I'm just I'm I, going over here where I can see the chat. No I, problem. No problem. So go ahead and put those in there, what you are going to take away from this and what you're going to implement, not just that you heard and you're like, oh, that's cool. What are you going to implement? What thought, what point, what uh, step process, what are you going to work on? Live the life you love. There you go. Limited escapism. Perfect. Self-care. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. Carve out time for the vision. For sure. He is moving. While you're doing well. that, I want to, while you're doing that, I want to say this, that uh, one of the things that I don't, I thought it was you, Garrett, who taught me this, but somebody taught me this about, you know, when we dedicate time to the thing that we care about the most, right? And so whether that be escapism in that moment, you're dedicating the time to do that, but dedicate the time. Don't think you're just going to find the time or you're going to be able to even, even carving out the time. I would contend like, no, let's actually, let's dedicate the time because I don't know about you, but I'm somebody who's always like, ah, I'm going to find the time to do that. And then something else goes away. Or if I do something for myself, because I've carved out the time, meaning that I took it away from someone else, I feel guilty about it afterwards, right? Or I'll come home and I feel like I have to make up for that time. So think about that. The 75-25 rule, I love that idea. Like stop spending all your time on those problems that you have. Wow, I love that. Matt has that in there. Wow. Great stuff, you guys. Good stuff. Putting off hard conversations is a form of escapism. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Leah, man, good to I, see you. Glad you're in Wealth Builders Club. Look forward to having your wealth architecture as well. That's awesome. Wow. Delegate roles and a task. Be vulnerable enough to ask for help. Yeah, and ask, be vulnerable enough to ask the right people for help. You don't share your vision with people that are in a really negative place um, because they're going to want to plant seeds of negativity or hold you back. So be careful with where you share that. You could always show up like for them and listen to them. But, uh, you know, there's some people that really do what they can to, to like, there's people that are, can only be happy if they're successful and you're not like, and they, there's not enough room in their mind for two people to be successful. I, I yeah. So, you yeah, know, just totally. who you're really vulnerable with. Like I, like I like being really vulnerable from stage. I like being really vulnerable with my family, with, people that I know, but if it's someone that I see that if, when you learn the persona of a high roller, I'm never vulnerable with a high roller, which is one of the money personas, because they use it to their advantage to get something from you. Mm, interesting. When is your book going to be out? Come out, Garrett. That's a good question. Do you know, I mean, I've been writing it for five years because I'm doing the <laughs> writing and it's in editing right now. It's uh, I've already done two audio books from it. And now I'm still working on the third version of the book. So it'll probably be Q2 of 2022, it looks like, just because of uh, it's uh, being published and it takes a while for distribution. And this is my, this is my, uh, this is the book. Like this is the one that I put everything into, and I think is is the one that will have the most impact. So I want it to wow. change the game of finance over the next 20 years. So that's that's what it's about. Wow. Well, um, I mean, if it's if it's available for the and, and the audio version, I would love to send this out to everybody to let everybody have that as a bonus for being here. I appreciate that. Yeah. I think that's uh, that's amazing. And uh, thank you for your time and uh, just your generosity of being here. I loved the style, too. I hope everybody else did about being able to just ask questions. Uh, we have a couple of minutes left, like two, three minutes. Does anybody have any questions they'd like to ask Garrett real fast that we can uh, go through? I'm happy to do that. I should have, I asked the wrong question. What questions do people have? None. You got it. Okay. 
All right. Well, Garrett, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Let's give Garrett a big round of applause. Let's send him some love. Really, really appreciate it. That was awesome. Love your energy. That's true. Just love your energy. Well, great. Have a good one. You're in great hands with Dino. Dino, uh, great to see you the other night and uh, good luck with all of this and uh, hope to see you again soon. Absolutely, because I got to go see some more comedy, man. That'd be awesome. All right. Take care. Thanks so much again for listening to the Propener Podcast. We really appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed already, please make sure you do so. Also, if you feel like you might be a good fit for our podcast as a guest or know somebody who you think would be, go ahead and email us at dino at dinowatt.com. Again, thanks for support. We'll see you on the next episode.